All right, good morning, everybody. A couple announcements. Um, after the service, we're going to be tearing this place down and getting it all ready for the garage sale to, and start bringing their stuff tomorrow. So if you want to stick around and help, that'd be great. Many hands make the work light. Um, so we're just going to stack them in stacks of four and off to the side. They can't really go any higher than four. They start to tip and fall. So four of these chairs and then off to the side, all on the edge. Um, then we're going to put tables in here and tables out there and kind of get the place ready for your stuff. And that means then on Monday, tomorrow, you can start bringing your stuff if you want to. Um, we'll leave the place open for you. Um, and try to get it beyond the front door. So, <laughs> you know, kind of to where everything goes. This will be clothing in here. Big stuff will be down this aisle. Knickknacks down over in the kids' playroom over there and then different things, you know. So if you can get them all to, you know, we'll put poster boards out so you remember where the places are and things are. So um, that'd be great. Also, a bunch of dishes in the kitchen um, that we use to do the college dinner. Um, and those are being given away today. So if anybody wants some of those, they're on the island, free dishes. So take all the dishes you want. Um, you can use dishes for a whole lot of things. They don't just have to be eaten on. I mean, if you like shotguns, I mean... Those are some nice clay pigeons, I'm telling you right there. Um, anyway, they're back there. And some of your other stuff that maybe you brought for a potluck or something and forgot, um, they may or may not be there by the time you see them. You might want to run because uh, we're giving that stuff away too. Um, anyway, that's what's going on. Also, kids uh, for their camp, uh, turn in the registration forms as soon as you can. That way we can get things kind of organized and, and start with that. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and 9. Deuteronomy 8 and 9 is where we'll be this morning. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which I swore to your fathers. This is a, a common theme throughout this book. Um, God is trying to get that across to them. Please be careful to observe. Not because I want to see if, you know, if I'm boss. Um, he gives us the reasons why. It's so that you can live and so that you can prosper. I want you to do well. I want you to multiply there. Um, and so God's word that he magnifies above his name is given to us so, for those reasons, so that we can live and multiply. He wants us to. And uh, the word multiply there, he's, he's, really, he's not talking just about you know, procreation. He's also talking about stuff. Um, he's going to be very clear on that in the next two chapters. He's talking about possessions. I want you to, I want you to do well. Um, and so he gives us that command. And he's going to say that several times because throughout these two chapters, because, well, if you've ever raised a child before, you're trying to get something across to them. Listen to me. Please listen to me. And you say it over and over again because they're distracted or because they're not sure if this is an important thing you're saying or something you're kind of always talking, mom and dad. So I don't know whether I should listen right now, but you try to get their attention on the important stuff. Please look at me and listen to me. What I'm about to tell you is very important. It's for living. <laughs> it's your life at stake here, not mine. Um, God is not concerned about how he's going to do. He's concerned about how you're going to do what I'm going to do. And so he gets our attention with that right off the bat this morning. Please pay attention, observe, and, and do um, these commandments. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you by all this way, these 40 years in the wilderness. And here's why, for these three reasons, to humble you, to test you, and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You ever want to know the meaning of life? That's the big question. What's the point? Why are we here for 80 years? Why not just be born in heaven? What's this middle ground for? It's for these reasons. 
It's for free will. It's for your choosing. It's for your humbling. It's to test you. It's to, to know what's in your heart. Now, God knows all things. He knows what's in our hearts. But we don't know what's in our hearts. And so God brings tests into our lives to bring to the surface what's really in our hearts. Trials and tribulations that make us think, oh, I didn't know that was there. I, I'm responding in a fleshy way, not in a spiritual way. And God knew that the whole time. He's not surprised that you blew your top. He's not surprised that you, you know, you get your anger, get away from you and, and all. But maybe you were. And he just wants to show us. Hey, I just want you to know that's there. And guess what? That's next on the list. We're going to start working on that right now in your life. This test was to bring that to the surface so you knew it was there. I always knew it was there. And now we're going to get rid of this together. And that's what God does. So he brings him through this wilderness, not because he didn't want to bring him right into the promised land, but they needed to be humbled. And they needed to be tested. And they needed to know what was in their hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It was a choice. It's always a choice. You don't have to keep his commandments. He's not going to make you. Um, like this morning, you'll be hearing God's word and the Holy Spirit is very present this morning and he'll be tugging on hearts or, or not. But if you feel that tug on your heart, please understand he's not going to drag you to heaven. He's not going to pull you there. He's not going to make you. But he will invite and encourage you and tug. Um, but it's up to you to respond. And so those are the things he does for him. So uh, verse 3, so he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know uh, that a man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. It's from love that he does that. I'm giving you these tests for love. And we're really concerned with our comfort and how we're going to do down here for these 80 years, or 100, however long you live. He wants to, you know, that's what we think about. You know, I want the best health. I want the best life. I want the most money. I want, I want, I want, I want. That's not God's thoughts about this life. He wants what's going to be eternal. He could care about less about your flesh, uh, your body. It makes no difference to him. It's your spirit, your soul. That's going to be eternal. You get a new body when you get up there, thank goodness. But... What he's concerned about is where you're at, where your heart is, and whether you're going to spend eternity with him or not. And so that's what he focuses on. And so by whatever means, he brings that about. He lets us know where our heart stands in, 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 in his economy, in his light. Um, in that verse there, we saw that that's from Matthew chapter 4, 4, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and Satan was telling him, make stones into bread. And this is where Jesus quotes from, from Deuteronomy that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And he was talking about a real physical fast. Jesus was in the wilderness fasting without food or water. And now some people have a hard time believing that kind of stuff. They have a hard time with Jonah. They have a hard time with five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000. Some people have a hard time with the miracles of the Bible, but they have a much harder time than with a God who throws planets into space and creates things with the word of his mouth. You've got a much bigger problem than with the miracles in the Bible. You have a very small God, and you don't, you don't understand the size and the magnitude and the grandeur of, of our Lord. And so he tells him that, and he's going to say that several times. Moses is going to give the example of being without food and water for 40 days at a time. And so that's impossible. No, apparently it's not. Being in the presence of God physically changes things. And not everybody believes that, but it's true. Being in the presence of God physically changes things around you. Yes, you can go without food and water for 40 days. 
if God chooses to allow you to do that, like he did with Moses, like he did with Jesus. Moses, he does it with him several times, and some of the prophets as well. And so he throws that out there. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by, lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is, is God's word that important to you yet? Is it that important to you yet? Is it more important to you than where your next meal is going to be coming from? We don't have a problem with that, generally speaking. Our refrigerators are relatively full. We have at least today and tomorrow's food in there. And so there isn't that big of a concern. Other people in the world don't have that. Um, but is God's word more important than that? It needs to be. He wants it to be. Um, that's where he's trying to take us. And some of us have been Christians for a long time. And maybe you're being challenged this morning. Is God's word still then? more important than everything else in your life? Or is it third, fourth, fifth, best? You know, well, he wants it to be number one. Jesus said it was number one. Moses says it's number one. It needs to be number one in our lives as well. Yeah. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, the flow that, um, that flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land in which he has given you. Nowhere along those in that paragraph that he say you need to be, feel guilty about having all these things. We live in a fantastic country, greatest country on the earth as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've lived in several places in this country. I've visited many, many places in this country, and there's nothing like it. I've been to other countries. There's nothing like it. They all have their, they all have their charm. Don't get me wrong. The other countries do, but I was in California for two and a half years, maybe longer. Um, in the morning, you could be at the beach, and in the, in the evening or afternoon, you could be skiing. You know, right. and the, It's amazing. What God's the variety that we have here, Colorado, the uh, Florida, the Keys, uh, Texas, Kansas, even I know Kansas, right? <laughs> if you're from Kansas, forgive me, but boy, when the wheat is up and it hasn't been harvested yet, and all you can see as far as you can see is wheat, there's a beauty to that that you can't see anyplace else. It's fantastic, it's amazing. A lot of you folks have tried to get down to wheat harvest. And if you've ever wanted to do some hard work and make a lot of money, go there sometime, if not just for the view. I mean, it's just absolutely spectacular. This, and that's, that's the flattest place on earth, and yet still God makes it gorgeous, these amber waves of grain, you know. Our country's fantastic. Um, but God's never told us to feel guilty about it being fantastic. Or feel terrible that we live here and not someplace else that's less fortunate. No, no, no. No, all he's asked for is gratitude. And in that gratitude that we give him, it's in the obeying of his commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If there's gratitude in your heart for what God has given you, you'll keep his commandments. If you have a hard time keeping his commandments, there's not gratitude. You don't understand what you've been given, what you've been blessed with. And so he shows us that and tells us that there's gratitude. It's, since the 60s, we've been losing our gratitude for God. We're changing course, thank goodness. We're moving back in the right direction as a nation right now. Um, I hope it lasts, um, but it may not. But we've been going in the wrong direction, removing God and, and, and saying specific things that are pointed out in God's Word in the next chapters here, in the next uh, paragraphs here, of that we've done this ourselves. 
that all the founding fathers believed in God, it had nothing to do with God. It was our innovation. It was our ingenuity that made this country as great as it was, and that's not true. That's not what he says. And so we've been forgetting God and removing God and trying to remove him from every aspect of public life. And we need to be careful because the next verse here in verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, this is a long parenthetical statement, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. It's prophetic for what the direction we've been heading in our country. Well, you know, for us, each one of us, I'm preaching to the choir, you're here this morning, obviously, you understand that gratitude to God is necessary and, and, uh, and due to him. But the rest of the world doesn't know this stuff. They're being indoctrinated into thinking that, no, that's not for us. That's it. We're, we're a bacteria. We're a virus on this great and beautiful world. And if we just need to be wiped out and let this beautiful world grow and to be much better off without people, that is what we're being taught. That is not true. It is not God's will. This is. And what they've got in their mind is that they've done something, that they've made this place great somehow, that they're rich. And God said there's nothing wrong with being rich. I'm not a prosperity doctrine kind of guy. I'm not a health and wealth preacher. But this is very much, this is very clearly teaching that the blessings that you have are from God, and he adds no sorrow to them. He makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. There's nothing wrong with being rich and having this multiplied in your life, living in a nice house, having gold and silver multiplied. There's nothing wrong with that, provided you understand where it comes from and how it's to be used. Some people can be trusted with wealth. Some people can't be trusted with wealth, and God knows that, you know. He gives us what we can handle. He never gives us more than we can bear. We always think about that as trials. God never gives me more than I can bear. He also doesn't give you any more money than you can handle either. I think I could handle the lottery. I don't think you can, God says. You know, 187 or whatever million dollars dropped in your lap might turn you into the biggest creep anybody's ever met. And God knows your heart, so thank you, God, that I'm not rich, you know. Or thank you, God, that I am. How can I... How can I glorify you? How can I bless you? Anyway, so he tells him, be careful that you don't end up at the end of this, after, at the end of my blessing, my grace, and my mercy, saying, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Be careful. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, uh, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed, uh, destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. It's a very clear warning. We are a great nation, and I think we're a great people as long as we're grateful to God. 
and we give him glory and honor. When we refuse to do that in our own lives or collectively as a nation, um, this will come true as well. We'll be moved out. We were moved in, but we're tenants on God's earth. We can easily be moved out. Uh, so the warning is there, and it's throughout the ages. It's not just for the nation of Israel. It's for us this morning as well. We need to be careful. Chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Now, this is the second time they've come to this place, um, to the Jordan River, ready to cross over the land. Nothing's changed. Well, one thing's changed. The people are still the same. The actors, the players, the Anakim are still over there. The nation of Israel is still five foot two nothing. You know, There's a bunch of millions of people over there, nations greater and mightier than them. On the other side, that nation of Israel has been walking around the wilderness with the same shoes for 40 years. The fight hasn't evened up. Nothing's changed. There's one thing that has changed, faith. This group of people has faith. They're still weak. They still can't do it on their own. God is still the same. The actors are still the same. The difference is these folks, this next group, has faith in God. They believe he will. And they're going to win because of that. That's the difference. Everybody can hear the word of God. Everybody's hearing it this morning. It's going in your ears. It's going through your brain. It's going through all the mechanisms that God's designed for you to hear. But you can hear and not hear. It's got to be mixed with faith. You can hear and not do. It has to be mixed with faith. You have to believe it. Do you believe God's word? If you don't believe God's word, then this morning will profit you nothing. It's just time wasted. You could have been fishing, could have been mushroom hunting or something, you know. Um, but if you do hear and you do mix it with faith and you do believe God at his word, it'll, it'll be a blessing. It'll, it'll uh, produce fruit in your life. And so he tells them that. You're going to go over. This is it. We're going in. Verse 4, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. He says that once there. Now, he's not being a creepy dad. You know, as you look at your son who just won the soccer game and you look at him and you say, well, you don't get excited. You're a terrible little kid. You didn't really win. It's just, you just got lucky. No one would do that to a kid. That'd be mean. What he's trying to get across is and trying to avoid and move them from is pride developing in their heart. Pride is an ugly thing, and it's, it's not because it's not God just hates pride. It's because it's, it's detrimental to you. Your pride is going to hurt you. It's going to do damage to you, and it has. And you probably can remember it. If you're not too prideful, you could probably think of sometimes you wish you hadn't said that or done that or thought that or been like that. And so God's trying to stop pride from welling up in their hearts. Don't think that I'm bringing you in because of your righteousness. This is a salvation issue. Don't think that you're going to heaven because you're a pretty good person, like it's a scale. Well, I'm better than Hitler. That's, that's what everybody says. Every unbeliever in the world ever says that. You know, you need Jesus. Go, I'm better than Hitler, so he's the only one in hell? And just, he's the balance. It's the other way around. If you're gonna, if, if there is a comparison for sure, but it's to Jesus. To get into heaven, you have to be good as or better than Jesus Christ. Then you go to heaven. 
But if you're not good as or better than Jesus Christ, you are not going to heaven. Your sins have separated you from the love of God. They've separated you, not the love of God, separated you from God. God loves you, sent his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you could gain entrance to heaven, but there had to be that sacrifice. Don't think because of your righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, but it's because of the wickedness of the nations before the Lord is driving them out from before you. Now look at this. Verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which he spoke, the Lord which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not a typo. That's not a clerical error. Did he just write it twice? He's trying to drive home a point. And in case we didn't get it, he goes on to say, therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. He just tries to drive that home three different times in the same paragraph. He lets us know because it's a salvation issue. Your salvation cannot be because of who you are. It has to be because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Don't think that way. Maybe you got born again and it started that way. Jesus is great. He died on the cross. I love him. And you got baptized, maybe seven, eight years old. But since then, now you're, what, 70 60, 80 years old, 48 years old, me. And somewhere along, you guys, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Been walking with the Lord a long time. Started a church. Not bad for uh, credentials. It's not going to even show up on my resume when I get to heaven. If I show up, and here's why he says this, here's why he warns him. If I show up to heaven at the gates and I say, here's my resume, God, lucky to have me. These are locked. Could you open these up for me, you know? I'll be in trouble. And he knows that. No, my resume says one name, Jesus. That's how I get into heaven. I trusted in him, always, at age 8, at age 15, at age 48, at age 90. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did. Nothing because Everything I did up in my life after I got saved is because of what Christ has done for me. It's not a gratitude, again. It's a thanksgiving. So, he warns them, don't think that way, please. Remember, do not forget, verse 7, how you provoke the Lord. Just in case they weren't sure, well, we're pretty righteous. Well, let me go over some history with you, Moses says. Remember, do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You've been rebellious against the Lord. That's why he called you stiff-necked. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, so the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. That's interesting. Angry enough. Those levels of anger with the Lord. He was so mad, Moses said. Now, you didn't hear this conversation, but he was so mad he wanted to wipe you out. But I stopped him. He's going to say that here in a minute. That's how mad he was. I don't ever want to make God that mad. I'm sure I've made him upset. I'm sure he's been unhappy with me at times, but I'm still here so far. The Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you. Then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Testimonial of God's word being more important than the material. Then the Lord delivered me two tablets of stone with the finger of God. We joke around. I try to sell Bibles. I say they're autographed copies. They're like, "Eh, what? I'm just kidding. They're not autographed. These were. And he smashes them that day when he comes down the mountain. Can you imagine? 
And then he has to write the next set by himself. But he had an autographed copy of the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are stiff-necked people. So Moses is saying, that's not my words, those are God's. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. So Moses was saying, you guys were, you were that close, that close to me being the patriarch and not Jacob. And, you know, they never saw that. They never knew that. The kids don't. See, remember this generation is a bunch of kids that, their parents are the ones that died in the wilderness. They've never had this. They and so they're getting this story. Maybe mom and dad didn't tell them the whole story. Well, something happened that night. We're not saying what. And then Moses smashed the commandments. You know, they're getting the full story now. You guys made a golden calf after a month of your leader being gone? Talk about fickle. He went up on the mountain for 40 days. You're like, well, he's been gone for a month. I don't think he's coming back. Let's worship a cow. It was that fast. And that's why he says so quickly. And you know how you see on Charlton Heston when they made the movie, they got this gigantic cow? It was probably this big. They just took a bunch of earrings and melted them down and made it into a calf. They're probably hoisting and they're bowing down. They're worshiping this little tiny statuette, you know. Really? But how quickly we can forget I mean, I don't bow down to a cow, but boy, I've got to be careful. There's a lot of idols that might take God's place in my life. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be so blunt and obvious as a golden calf with candles around it. It could be anything. I have to be careful about that. Look what he does. So God says, let me wipe them out. Get out of my way. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands, and I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way of the Lord and the way the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord, as at the first forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water, because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. That's the second time He's done that. Like. Soon, I don't know whether he had a bite to eat in between, but he was up there without food and water, came down. I mean, it very well could have been 80 days straight for all we know. I assume Joshua had some food maybe in a sack or something. Let's eat lunch on the way down. I don't know. But this is what he discovers when he gets there, and he smashes the commandments. It was frustrating to him. I'm just going to be gone for a little bit. I'm going to go talk to God. He's going to give me some awesome things. I comes down. I've got these tablets of stone written with the finger of God. He carved them himself, and you guys are worshiping a calf. What am I supposed to do with these things? You've broken all 10 while I've been gone in 30 days or 40 days. So he smashes them. I understand. God doesn't punish him for it, so it must have been okay with God to do that, but he does make him write the next 10 on his own. 
He said, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that time. Then I took your sin. Look what he does with it. And guys, this is what God wants us to do with our sin. Pay attention. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burned it with fire, and I crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook and that descended from the mountain. That's what God wants us to do with our sin, not just put it away in another dark corner and another drawer, but he wants us to burn it, to crush it, not just to crush it, crush it so badly that it turns into powder, like talcum powder, and then throw it in the brook so it travels away from you. Just get rid of it altogether. There's nothing good about it at all, nothing redeeming about our sin. He wants us to cast it away, crush it, and he doesn't do it for us. You know, these prayers that we say, oh God, please help me to stop sinning. No, you crush it. He doesn't ask us to do something that we can't do. He doesn't say, crush your sin. I know you can't, but it's kind of fun to watch you try. No, you crush your sin. You put it away on purpose with malice in heart. I'm getting rid of this in my life. I'm going to burn it first. First, you've got to call it what it is, sin. Now I'm going to burn it. Now I'm going to crush it. Now I'm going to crush it again until it's like fine powder. Then I'm going to throw it in the water. Then I'm going to watch it go downstream. That's how I'm going to get rid of my sin today. Make it an event, you know. Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale used to have an event. Pretty wacky. They were kind of wacky down there. They got like 30,000 people at their church or something like that. Anyway, they had this thing in their parking lot where everybody's supposed to bring their sin to the parking lot. And they brought their sin and they made a pile and they had a bonfire out of all their sin. People were throwing boxes of porn magazines, television sets, whatever it was. They were tossing in there, had this big fire, and the reporters were there. You know, talk about, talk about a cult headline right there, you know. Some strange cult just burned television sets and porn magazines in their parking lot. That, you know, you think it's weird going to this church, that one. What a great idea, though. Make an event out of it. I'm calling it what it is in front of everybody, and I'm throwing it in there, and everybody's going, yeah, you know. We're cleaning up our lives. I'm going through my house. I'm getting rid of all the junk and all the things in the dark corners that I've forgotten about. To burn it, to crush it, to smash it. Oh, that we'd have that same hate for our sin as God hates our sin. Also, he goes on, in case that wasn't bad enough, if you know God called you a stiff-necked person because of the, the calf, look what else you, else you did. At Tabra and Massa and Kebroth, Hetavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you to Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him or nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. They've proven themselves to be stiff-necked. He's calling them that because of their actions, not because he's mean-spirited, but because they've earned it. You're stiff-necked because you're stiff-necked. And that's a tough thing to swallow. Here's what I think is interesting about this last one. He told them to go up and possess the land which I have given you. It wasn't optional. God was telling them to go there, and because they didn't, they're a stiff-necked and rebellious people. It wasn't like, I want to give you this great place, but if you don't want to go, that's fine. Today, we have the idea that we're going to pray and seek the Lord about direction on an area of our life, right? 
Um, am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to move here? What kind of major should I have in college? Um, whatever it may be. Should I marry her? Should I marry him? Whatever. Whatever the question is. And we usually do a pros and cons list for ourselves and wait for God to speak to us. Is this good for me? Is this the job for me? Is this the location for me? Is this the woman for me? Is this the man for me? Is this the career for me? Whatever it may be. But it's a bigger picture. There's an eternity that God's worried about. Not only do I want you to go in the direction that I want you to go because it's good for you, because my plan is unfolding. And when you say no to me, my plan isn't unfolding the way I want it to. It's rebellion to not go where God tells you to go. It's rebellion to not take the job God tells you to take because I don't know if he wants me to have a Christian presence in this neighborhood because he doesn't have any there. Or someone needs to be a believer, at least a follower of Jesus in that job so that everybody can see what that looks like. There's more to consider than just my welfare in these decisions. What is God's will? Not what's easiest, not what's most lucrative, not what's best for my family, what does God want me to do? What's best for his plan? As a servant of God, we worry way too much about this 80 or 100 years that we live here on this earth, and we're not living for him. I don't care where I work as long as it's where God wants me to work. I don't care where I live as long as it's where God wants me to live. I don't care. I want to do his will. I'm his servant. Send me, you know. And so he tells him that. He calls that. And as far as the calf goes, as far as crying out for water, um, as far as this goes, it was all stiff-necked because they wouldn't go in. Verse 25, Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have uh, brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin. Don't focus on that, God, Moses is praying. Lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them and because he hated them. Moses' prayer is interesting and it's, in, it's a lesson for me. When I pray, oh God, get me out of this mess so that I don't feel any more pain or so I don't have to struggle anymore. No, God, get me out of this mess that I got myself into so that your name is glorified, so that your reputation is upheld. It's not about me. Moses says, don't worry about the people. They are exactly who you said they are. Moses says, I'm concerned about your name, your reputation. The world's going to say that you couldn't bring this people in. They're going to say that you hated this people, and we know you don't. You know? That was his plea, and God heard it. He has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness is what they're going to say about you, God. Yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. If anybody's going to proclaim your goodness, it's going to be me, God, Moses says. I'm going to proclaim your goodness. Guys, it doesn't matter who in this room actually follows through on what this is saying here this morning. You need to, personally. I need to live my life in prayer under the guidance of God, led by the Holy Spirit, doing what he tells me to do, when he tells me to do it, in obedience to him. Although I have free will, and this is a great example of that, he's asking them to go into the promised land. They don't have to, but they need to choose to. It's the same for salvation. God will do everything and tell you everything you need to know about this salvation he's done for you. First of all, that you're a sinner, that you're not perfect, and that you've fallen short of what gains you entrance into heaven. That's a fact. You've sinned. What do you do about that sin? You can't outweigh the good and the bad. 
Nobody would say that in a court of law. I murdered one person, but I haven't killed anybody since. Doesn't do any good. You still need to pay the price for the one. So the price has to be paid no matter how many sins you have, and mine are two numbers to to count. God says, instead, I'm going to place my son on the cross, the death penalty, instead of you, and he's going to have all of your sins placed upon him at that time. And that's my salvation for you. Now, if you don't believe that, then you will have your sentencing later on. But if you do believe that and you trust in me, then you won't have your sentencing. You're, you're free. You're free. And that's up to you to choose to either believe or not believe. And so he tells him that. Moses is warning this next generation, please don't be like your parents. Please follow through. Go all the way. Trust the Lord. Don't walk away from him. Remember, it's his reputation on the line. And it's not because of your righteousness. It's because he chose you. Give him the honor that is due him. And so he warns him about that. And he's warning us this morning. I hope we heard. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, for a lot of us, we're saved. We've been saved for a long time, but you still, you you teach us something every time we open your word. Mm -hmm. Help us to be obedient to you. We thought we were, maybe before we came, but we know there's a lot of room for improvement, God. Help us to obey you, God, and obey your commands. Help us to live for you, to be good representatives of you on this earth, whether that's in our neighborhood or at our job or in in our families and extended families, God. Just in our homes, God, help us to be good representatives of yours, gracious and merciful, forgiving like you are for us, that the folks around us might taste and see that you're good. Lord, help us to be like you, Jesus. Now, for those that don't know you this morning, they've darkened the door of a church, and maybe they've been to church a million times, or maybe they've never been. Maybe you've been tugging on their heart maybe this morning. You won't drag them, we know that. You're not going to force them, but you've invited them to be a part of your family to receive your son, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, to choose you to be their king. And so, Lord, they want to pray right now, if they so choose, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins that I freely admit this morning. I know that my sins have separated me from you, and my eternity is lost without you. But your plan was to send your son to take my place, and I believe that, that he died on the cross, and all my sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to that cross, and I thank you for that, God. I believe that in all my, with all my heart. Lord, come into my heart. Mm-hmm. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And now that I'm saved and I'm walking with you, Lord, help me to be obedient to you. I want to represent you. No matter how much longer I live, no matter what my health looks like, no matter what riches I have or don't have, I want to be like your son Jesus to those around me. I want to be better. I want to be conformed into your image. I want to walk worthy of this salvation that you've given me. Mm-hmm. Not for it, but because of it. So thank you for my salvation. Now help me to be a good, obedient kid. Thank you for loving me so much to tell me the truth and to also get me out of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.